Welcome to Tax Breaks, the Moody's Tax Podcast, where you find informed discussions, lively debate, and sometimes a little lighthearted fun around tax issues in Canada, the United States, and around the world. Good day. My name is Kim Moody. I'm the CEO of Moody's Tax, and I'm here with my colleagues. Kenneth Cohn, Director. This is Sam Herjee. And we're going to talk about an interesting topic today, Bill C-208, which we'll give some uh, color on that in a minute. So just to clarify, uh, for new listeners or listeners that are not familiar with our firm, I'm uh, a, a chartered professional accountant, a tax guy, a tax professional. Kenneth is a, an accountant as well, although he does have some legal training, but he's not a practicing lawyer. And Asim is a lawyer and uh and we're going to have an interesting discussion about tax that intersects into legal here uh, about Bill C-208. So, so maybe let's just start off with what is Bill C-208? Kenneth, uh, why don't you take a run at that? What's Bill C-208? Bill C-208 is a private member bill that's, that was sponsored by Larry McGuire, MP. Conservative Party Conservative member. Party member. So not governing party. Mm-hmm. It's a private member bill because it wasn't sponsored by the, the main government body. Usually for taxing legislation, they're almost always introduced by the Department of Finance. Whereas this one was a, one of the MPs sponsoring a bill. And what it does, generally speaking, it, is it helps facilitate the transfer of small business and family farm or fishing corporation to the next generation. So in other words, for tax people on the line or quasi-tax people, they can claim the capital gains deduction on the sale uh, or transfer of their shares of, of these uh, to family members. Mm-hmm. And taking taking back non-share consideration of what we call boots. Right. So in a situation today without this, this private, private member's bill, what would happen, Kenneth? If a first-generation person wants to sell their business or farm or fishing corporation to the next generation, and they claim the lifetime capital gain exemption. Uh, what is it today, about 880-ish thousand? Yeah. Then if they take back any cash or a IOU, promissory note, then what they have claimed, what they think, thought they have claimed as lifetime capital gain exemption actually becomes a dividend to them. And dividend, as we all know, is actually taxed even worse than a capital gain even without the lifetime capital gain exemption. So let's take an example of how that could apply. Because uh, if, if, for example, uh, myself, if I transfer my shares of my operating company to my son personally, so my son buys my shares, there's no problem there, right? Because mm-hmm. he's using after-tax personal money to pay for my shares. If I claim capital gains deduction, who cares? Right. Not a problem. Yeah. But if I sell my shares of my company to my son's holding company and I claim capital gains deduction and let's say um, holding company uh, pays cash to me uh, or a promissory note. What an effect has happened, Kenneth? Like why the concern, um, and for tax geeks, that's, you know, it's section 84.1 of the Income Tax Act that, that applies here. What's the concern about that? Right. They call this a surplus stripping. When the son used his whole co to buy the shares from you, Kim, they are in effect going to be using 
cash, future or future cash of the company to pay for to pay for the purchase to to you, um, the first generation. And that is like stripping the surplus or stripping the assets from your company to you. Because in normal court course, the only way you can take out money from a com- company, as you always say, Kim, is by dividends. Well, let's just stop there. And I'm going to pick on a sim because a sim's not an accountant. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> lawyers have lots of, lots of advantages over, over accountants, but accountants have lots of advantages <laughs> over lawyers too. So I'm going to pick on a non-accountant here, a sim. I'm going to get it wrong, Ken. <laughs> uh, you're going to get it right because Kenneth already gave you the answer. Uh, but I always, you know, when I teach this stuff, Kenneth, you know, he's picked up on this over the years. I always a- ask a, uh, a question to the audience and I'll say, by definition, what is the only way that you can remove after-tax corporate funds from a corporation and return it to its shareholders? What's the only way, Dividends. by definition? Dividends. Dividends. Yeah. And so you would think, and this is the accounting definition, right? And and arguably a legal definition as well, but let's just call it an accounting definition. You learn that in Accounting 101 um, or whatever in the hell university you went to, whatever number the, of course is, but it's Accounting 101. But do you think clever people like us have designed people, or sorry, designed transactions, not people, <laughs> designed transactions to s- circumvent that? Yeah, by doing exactly the transaction that we talked about, right? Mm-hmm. So in my situation, I could sell my shares to my son's Holco, receive cash, but really when the funds are repaid, it's stripped all the way out to me, and I only pay tax on a capital gain. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, use the capital gains deduction to shelter it. And Classic circles that the fund originated from the company. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to C two hundred eight. What is C two? Well, that's where it's disproportionate, right? Because if you sold your company to me, you wouldn't exactly. have that nasty tax result. Well, you being non arms or sorry, arms length, mm-hmm. um, and and you're absolutely right. That's the reason why C two hundred eight was introduced. And I'll go into a bit of history in this very shortly, but. If I sell my shares to you and it's your holding company I'm selling it to, no problem. But if I sell it to my son's holding company, that's a real problem. Even if he was going to legitimately carry on the business. Right. And so in in my situation, I sell it to my son's holding company. Section 84.1 says, mm, Kim, you know what? That's not a capital gain when you sold your shares to your son's holding company. That's a dividend. And therefore, because it's a dividend then I don't get capital gains deduction treatment. So it's really harsh. And then in addition to that, as we know around the table here, uh, dividends are taxed higher. In some cases, it could be, depending on what province you live in, you know, 45% plus. 47, 48. 47, 48 in some provinces. Yeah. Essentially double the capital gains rates. So very, very punitive. So, so C208 does what then, Kenneth? And then we'll go into a bit of the history. It mm-hmm. just, it does the- what? The main part of C208 amends 84.1, and it says 84.1 don't apply if the if the purchasing company is controlled by one or more children or grandchildren of the seller, and those children or grandchildren are more than 18 years old, and the purchasing company does not dispose of the subject shares, the shares being purchased, within 60 months of their purchase. 
as long as you meet these few conditions, 84.1 don't apply, and the seller, the first generation, can claim the lifetime capital gain exemption, so not pay tax on up to $890,000 of capital gain per seller, and take back cash or, or promissory note uh, for the whole purchase price, it, uh, effectively allowing a tax-free surplus strip up to the lifetime capital gain exemption of each person. Now, there are limits. Well, well, mm-hmm. well sorry, go ahead. No, there no. are limits to this. Uh, one of the main ones is that it these shares must be what's called QSBC shares, Qualified Small Business Corporation shares, or share of a family farm or fishing corporation, and the company uh, and its associated group, once its taxable capital exceeds $10 million, um, that entitlement to the lifetime capital gain exemption starts being ground down until at $15 million taxable capital, um, the lifetime capital gain exemption will be completely gone if you're trying to rely on this new, new rule. Okay. Now, there's a lot of concerns about Bill C-208 that have been you know, raised in the tax community and by the Department of Finance. But nevertheless, it received royal assent on June the 30th, I believe it was, or was it the 29th? 29th, thank you. Um, 29th, 2021. So it's, it's law, but is it effective law? And we'll get to that issue as well. So we, you know, maybe at this point, Kenneth and, and Asim, I'll just quickly talk about, you know, a bit of the history here. This is not a new issue. You know, this is an issue that the government of Canada has struggled with for quite a long time. And so let's just go back to, um, you know, the original history of this. And so the capital gains deduction, which is applicable for qualified small business corporation shares and qualified farming and fishing property, has been around since 1985. And it was introduced into law back then. And originally it was $500,000. And over time it increased to seven fifty, dollars And then it increased by indexation. And so today... You know, as we already said, it's roughly 880000 If you're a farmer, it's fixed at a million, and so, or a farmer or fisherman. But when they introduced this rule back in 1985, you know, as Kenneth aptly described, I mean, the, the government of Canada figured out that, hey, if it, they, you could use the capital gains deduction to effectively strip out money uh, in a tax-effective manner. And you could do it exactly the way that I suggested, which is have me sell my shares to my son's holding company. I claim my capital gains deduction, strip out money, bingo, bango, bongo, beautiful. And so they introduced Section 84.1 to prevent that. And they never introduced any genuineness tests. In other words, if I sell my shares to my son and my son legitimately carries out the business, is there a good policy reason why that should be prohibited? I think the logical answer is no. There is no good logical answer to to prohibit that. But how do you design rules around that? And so this issue has been debated for literally decades. Fast forward to 2017 and uh, when, you know, July, what was the date? July 18th, 2017, when the government of Canada introduced the infamous private corporation tax proposals under three pillars. One was the so-called income splitting prevention rules, which became law as tax on split income rules. Two was they wanted to prevent the accumulation of private income, or sorry, passive income or surplus. 
which got watered down into the so-called passive income proposals, which are now law as well. And then they introduced anti-surplus stripping rules because the government of Canada did not like all the cleverness of the tax community <laughs> and people that were driving trucks around the uh, around the basic rule, accounting rule at least anyhow, that the only way you can remove surplus from a corporation is by way of a taxable dividend or a dividend. And so they introduced these proposals in the, in the July 2017 proposals that were draconian. And you remember that, guys? Mm -hmm. It was, it was quite, a, mm -hmm. quite a debacle. I mean, mm -hmm. I could certainly see why they want to introduce those rules. But ultimately, in October of 2017, after the community and the business community really screamed loudly, they backed down on those proposals. They completely backed away from it. Um, but to the government of Canada's credit, and I'll only give them credit on this particular issue <laughs> on those proposals because they were horrifically drafted and horribly thought out. Uh, but they did, when they introduced it, say that they're committed to looking at legitimate, genuine transfer, intergenerational transfers to allow the capital gains deduction to be or utilized in a non-arms-like situation. And they're looking for commentary on that. And, and so some organizations did provide commentary. As a matter of fact, the Conference for Advanced Life Underwriting, KALU, of which I, I am a member, uh, participated and put forward some very, very good uh, proposals. They weren't perfect proposals, but they're very well considered and gave the government a lot to think about. Right around that time, Quebec introduced their own rules as well. And again, there's some holes in those rules. They're not perfect either, but, um, but at least they're there and they do facilitate uh, genuine transfers. The, the problem with the Quebec rules is it was too restrictive. Right. Not, not, not that there is uh, holes. It's so restrictive that people can't use it at all. Right. I, I've heard of very few or very little pickup as a result of that. And the problem is, of course, that the federal is not mirrored with the Quebec rules, and so uh, it makes it even less uh, attractive. Mm -hmm. And then, so uh, fast forward to... Uh, um, actually, not even fast forward, but even back the train up a little bit. In 2016, there is another private member's bill introduced, Bill C-274, and introduced by the uh, NDP member uh, Guy Caron, or Guy Caron, depending on how you pronounce him. And that ultimately uh, was very, very similar, if not identical, um, to Bill C-208. But ultimately, it got killed in second reading. Yeah, the results on that were 145 yes, 157 no on so, second reading. So close, but no cigar and got killed. So then fast forward to um, earlier this year when Bill C-208 was introduced in the House of Commons. And surprise, surprise, it advanced past second reading in the House of Commons and, and, House of Commons and past third reading. And then eventually passed the Senate with some liberal members of the Senate. And um, uh, and previously the House of Commons as well supporting the bill. Yeah, and the House of Commons vote was one ninety nine yes to one hundred twenty eight no. Yeah, so it was not even close. Um, and actually, just as a quick anecdote, the um, House of Commons Finance Committee Chair Wayne Easter, who is a very well known liberal uh, member of Parliament, um, and I've had the pleasure of uh, appearing before him many times at the House of Commons Finance Committee, he supported. <laughs> and I think a, a lot of members knew 
that the bill was not perfect. And we'll talk about some of the concerns here in a second. But I think they were kind of getting tired of the Department of Finance paying lip service to this issue. Yes, you know, every budget they would say that they're committed to this, but there'd be no action. Um, in 2018, um, you know, the Department of Finance did a so-called listening tour. It was, in my opinion, just a complete joke where they picked a couple cities. I think one was Windsor, if I recall off the top of my head, and, and another one was Regina. And, uh, and they, you know, gathered some people who were invited and, and uh, anyhow, it, it ultimately went nowhere as well. So I think the House of Commons and, and the senators were getting a little impatient, saying, you know what, we'd much rather pass something that's imperfect and put pressure on the Department of Finance to actually get this done. Um, that that's kind of my two cents of it, guys. What do you think? Yeah, it's actually interesting. Before third reading at the Senate, there was a proposed amendment by a senator about some anti-avoidance rules to this because he thought it was going to be a slippery slope. But the Senate rejected the amendments. That's right. Yeah. So they just wanted to pass this bill because they saw there was no way to actually do the intergenerational transfers right now, and I got the sense they just wanted to make it possible. Right. Because right they, away. They they, they said the debates like if they. You know, if they pass any amendment bills, like this, just this is just going to die and go mm -hmm. nowhere, and they rather have something passed. So, so let's get back on the train here. And so, June 29th, two thousand twenty-one, received royal assent after passing earlier in the Senate. I think a lot of the tax community is a little surprised that it actually passed. Um, so, um, you know, before we get to the implementation date, let, let's talk about what are some of the concerns that the Department of Finance and some of the tax community like us have, have raised about Bill C-208. What, what can you, uh, can you drive trucks through this bill? Really, you can surplus trip without a genuine intergenerational transfer. It can be completely artificial and you can remove cash from your company tax rate. Is there age limits for the kids? 18 or up. 18 or up. So... And it has to be shares of a QSBC. So I've got three boys, I've got four boys, three of whom are over the age of 18. So I could actually surplus strip with all three of those? Well, I can, I guess, I guess I can claim only one capital yeah, gains deduction, right? Capital but, gains deduction, yeah. but I can pick and choose? Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. They, they just need to have control at the time of the purchase company. But that control can be preferred shares with vote entitlement, but not valid. So that's a, a very different distinction. Different's the wrong word, but that's a uh, that's a significant distinction. That's better English uh, between the Quebec legislation and the federal legislation. Now, mm -hmm. is in the Quebec legislation, as I understand it, there's a genuine test, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas in the in C two O eight, nothing. All mm -hmm. you need is control. Correct. And only legal control. Yeah. There is no test for factual control. And no test for how long my my kids needs to have control for. So technically, I just need to give them paper control for one day on the day of the transaction, and then transfer it back to myself. That that could be you could do retractable preferred shares where you're the director of the company, you have the preferred shares and retract them after the transaction. So, Department of Finance was probably right to be concerned about this then, uh, that. You know, there's a significant opportunity to surplus strip and not really achieve the overall policy objective of facilitating genuine transfers to the next generation, correct? Yeah, there are so many ways to drive trucks through this that it is 
there is pretty much a complete opposite of what we have experienced for the last 10, 20 years, where tax legislation have been overly restrictive, and we have to find, look very hard to try to find ways to do legitimate business. And here, we are actually trying hard to restrain ourselves <laughs> to not abuse the legislation too much. Well, some would say to that point, Kenneth, and I mean, I don't personally subscribe to this because I'm a proud Canadian, and, but, uh, you know, some would say, hey, the law is the law. Mm -hmm. Abuse it and use it all you want. Um, what do we think about that generally? Yasim? I mean, each each individual have their own risk tolerance, right? Because right. the spirit of the legislation was to, despite what finances or whatnot, it was to facilitate genuine intergenerational transfers. That's what and the so in my wanted view, right? to get through. But like Kenneth said, the law is the law is here, and it's clear you can do certain things that might not be in the spirit of the legislation. Right. For example, I don't have children, so immediately I was thinking, how do I? transfer my shares to my parents and then have them sell back to me the next day and, and we strip out 890k or more. God, so that is likely not. <laughs> Jesus, that Kenneth, that's these. rather devious, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's the law is the law. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just giving you a hard time, as you know. But but yeah, and, and thus that uh, leads to some of the concerns about finance, or that finance has raised. And, and some authors have raised, too. Like you right? said, there's not a lot of sympathy for finance on this one since they dragged their heels for a long time on actually facilitating these transfers. Well, and actually, I tend to agree with that. I mean, finance has paid... Uh, hey, and let's be clear. I mean, I know a fair amount of... I know some of the finance bureaucrats. They're very, very hardworking people. They're dedicated Canadians. They've got a very tough job to do. I get it. But on this one, I think enough is enough, right? I mean, they've paid lip service and they've continued to say that, hey, um, you know, we, we want to solve this issue. Well, you've had since 1985 to solve this issue. And then in 2017, you asked for uh, co uh, consultations. You got it. You didn't get many, but you got it. And did you engage legitimately with the tax community? No. Instead, you went on a listening tour, which was very political. So I, I'm not that sympathetic to finance unless they put forward evidence as to why we should be uh, sympathetic. But from where I sit, I'm not that sympathetic. Uh, can certainly change my mind, but I, I'm, at the moment, I'm not. And so I do think this is probably parliamentarians' way of saying, shit or get off the pot. Am I allowed to say that on our podcast, by the way? That's our podcast. Well, it's our podcast, I guess. So, <laughs> so, and so, I'm hopeful that this is kind of the impetus to, uh, to uh, you know, getting it right. So, with that, what did we see on June the 30th? Well, who wants to read the uh, Department of Finance news release? Asim, why don't you read yeah. that? So they said C208 has passed in the Houses of Parliament and received royal assent. Bill C-208 makes amendments to the Income Tax Act but does not include an application date. Well, let's just stop there. But does not include an application date. Do all bills have an application date? No, and there's actually an act called the Interpretation Act that tells you when that bill would then be effective if there's no specified so date. So what are the provisions that are at play here? So we have subsection 5.2 and 6.2 of the Interpretation Act, which basically say if there's no date specified, it will be the day of royal assent. That right, the bill which is June effective. 30th, right? And there's, there's a lovely website called Legisinfo, which is a collaboration of the Parliament and 
the Senate. Um, and what it is is it tracks the status of all the bills. It shows you the votes, the text, the amendments. And on this particular bill, it even specified this bill will come into force when it receives royal assent, following the rules, because there's no posted date. So as far as Parliament is concerned, this bill is law. Right. And so the key, So this press release was three paragraphs long. You read the first paragraph. Let's go to the second paragraph. The federal government is committed to facilitating genuine, genuine intergenerational share transfers while preventing tax avoidance that undermines the equity of Canada's tax system. All right. There's a lot in that one sentence paragraph. So it, the first part of it, I think, is a repeat of what the government has said for many years, right, which is they're committed to facilitating, inter, facilitating genuine intergenerational share transfers. So just to repeat ourselves, Kenneth, do you think that this legislation, Bill C-208, facilitates genuine intergenerational share transfers? Um, yes, it will facilitate genuine intergenerational transfer. The problem is it also facilitates a lot more than that. Yeah, it it <laughs> won't <laughs> prevent tax avoidance. <laughs> which, which, is the second, <laughs> which is the second part of the, you know, the second part of the sentence. While preventing tax avoidance that undermines the equity of Canada's tax system. Okay, there's a lot there, but I think that pretty much parrots your concern, right? Mm -hmm. it, it certainly does facilitate Bill C-208 genuine transfers, but it also facilitates non-genuine transfers. And so should there be anti-avoidance rules or some or some ring fencing around that? Probably. Yeah, there should be. Because this, this, is, this will literally rob all the taxpayers blind. Seriously. Well, it, it could rob, <laughs> it could deprive Canada's tax system for sure. So... Last paragraph of this press release. The government proposes to introduce legislation to clarify that these amendments would apply at the beginning of the next taxation year, starting on January 1, 2022. All right. There's a lot in that last paragraph sentence. So first thing that caught my eye, and we've talked about this behind the scenes, the government proposes to introduce legislation to clarify I have problems with the word clarify. Should I have concerns about that, Asim? As we spoke about a minute ago, as far as the law is concerned, this bill should be in effect in law today. So what finance is attempting to do is when they pass an amendment, say if you did any transaction from June 29th to December 31, it, was, it does not qualify and it will be deemed to be a dividend. Right, so... In effect, that would be the introduction of retroactive legislation, would it not? But they're giving you a heads up so that you can they can argue their way out of retroactive legislation. Now, given that Kenneth and I are not lawyers, um, is there anything that the government of Canada can do? In, actually, let me try that sentence again, or that question again. Can the government of Canada introduce legislation that has retroactive effect? I can tell you in yeah. tax, as you know, it's very, very rare. It's, it's very rare. They can. Their power is not unlimited. They have done retroactive legislation before, but they, it can be heavily scrutinized for charter reasons, for other legal protections. Um, the biggest context is criminal law, where retroactive legislation is almost a no-go. But they like the 2008 budget had some retroactive provisions, so they have gone there before. 
I don't know if they've ever given a six-month heads up on it, though. Yeah, and so it seems to me that this is finance's way of signaling that, hey, um, like you already said, that that they're going to introduce legislation that introduces anti-avoidance rules uh, w- with effect from June 29th forward. And so one could argue that hmm, maybe this isn't valid, but I think that'd be a... Am I right to assume, a sim that that would be probably a tough... I, I would argue that if you passed, if you did some planning today, this law is good law. And if it gets changed in later when they pass an amendment, then the question is, is will you win in court? Right. Because so. it, it would seem that I, my assumption would be the CRA on an objection would, would follow their administrative view, which was this did not take effect till January 2022. So... So is it the uh, <laughs> free-for-all that, uh, you know, that tax practitioners thought it might be? And I, we know some of our competitors, you know, some of them even announced uh, that this was law before it even received royal assent. <laughs> but, but I know some have been, you know, planning transactions and what have you. Should taxpayers, and you know, enter into transactions like this or... At the very minimum, I guess, they should know about the concerns, right? Yeah, you'd have to be open to the risk because if if you're doing, let's call it a non-genuine intergenerational share transfer where you're trying to surplus trip, right? and this passes, then you're going to have a battle on your hands. Right. If you're doing a genuational share or genuine intergenerational share transfer, the question is what anti-avoidance rules will be in the amendment and how will those apply because... If it narrows it like Quebec, the bill is pointless. But like the and then the uncertainty also is, is the whole thing going to be ineffective until Jan first, twenty twenty two, or just in um, non genuine transfer? Like I said, we have a client who actually needed to do a genuine mm-hmm. intergenerational transfer, and like there, I can see instances where there may be uh, urgency to this, and it is unfair. For the government to give no clarity, right? Um, if finance is going to do this, they better come out with their proposed legislation very quickly, very quickly, much sooner than January first, twenty twenty-two, so that taxpayer know what they are dealing with and can plan accordingly. And what's interesting here is the amendment did not prescribe anything to regulation, so it's not just finance's choice this has to go back to parliament with amendments to pass again right and these are the yeah. same politicians who just passed c208 right unless we get an election which high probability Correct. we will as we record this today on july the 5th 2021 but but yeah and the, and the obvious question with the you know anti-avoidance rules it's all going to hinge from what i can tell based based upon what is a genuine transfer mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Quebec has their version of what it is. There's been some authors and proposals put out there like Kalu who have suggestions. But that ultimately has been the real struggle is what is a genuine transfer and Mm -hmm. how do you prevent stuff like what Bill C-208 is facilitating? Mm -hmm. So and my bet is if they do come out when they do come out with these amending legislation and these restrictions, guaranteed, almost guaranteed it will be too broad. The restrictions. Yeah. 
which will severely limit the amount of people who can actually facilitate the transfer. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. on genuine transfers. And that's, you know, and, and thus, you know, they could, they could anti-avoidance themselves back into right, you know, right to the original concern, mm-hmm. you know. They could got the amendment. Right. So, so I don't think this saga, unfortunately, is over. We've got lots to lots to see uh, in the next six months or so. And yeah, it'd, it'd be very interesting if any politicians spoke about this bill and and finances released, because to me, Parliament intended for this law to be implemented in effect right away by yeah. not specifying a date, and then they have financing. Hold on, it's not till January, which is direct contradiction to what Parliament intended. Yeah, so I, I tend to agree with that, but I think this is finance's way of trying to protect the tax system, right, mm-hmm. and have, you know, significant surplus strips. And on the one hand, you can't blame them for that, right, because that is, it, it can be very abusive. Uh, but I don't know, you guys agree, disagree? Mm-hmm. I agree. Like on the, but as you say, on the other hand, they kind of got it coming themselves. Well, like I said, I'm not too sympathetic with how they played this particular issue out over the last 30 plus years and in particular the last four plus years it, well it four is, years it is ripe for abuse so the it would make sense that there would be amendments to this bill right yep i even said on my linkedin account uh you know when bill c208 was passed by the senate i said i would expect finance to introduce some amendments rather quickly well, I didn't expect this news release, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were we were debating before this if they'd go out and say we'd we'd announce that we're going to retroactively amend it. But to use the word clarify the amendments is a different way of approaching it than I expected. Right. Yep. Well, guys, I think that's the news and the weather. Unless you have any closing comments. No, no, I think that's up. All right. Well, I, yeah, I would just suggest. To anyone who's being sold these kind of plans or being told to do it, really be cognizant of the risks, especially with finances press release here. Make sure you really understand the implications. Yeah, well said. All right. As usual, thanks, Kenneth, for your wisdom. Thanks, Asim, for yours. And uh, uh, be careful out there. Thanks again. Bye now. Bye-bye.